Good morning, everyone. Um, I was thinking I'm glad that some people at least responded to, to the good morning. I was just, I'm a, I'm a teacher, so where I teach, uh, you're not allowed to sit down until you've greeted the teacher. So, um, so good morning and welcome. Um, yeah, I think most of the people I've greeted this morning have commented on what a beautiful day today is. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for being here on this beautiful day. Um, welcome to those of you that are joining online. Um, and we're continuing our journey, our walk through the, the Gospel of Mark, and we've been doing it for months, and we paused for a bit and looked at the origin series, and now we're back in Mark again. Um, and last week, Ryan shared to me at least such a, a wonderful and encouraging message with us. Um, and I feel like the message today is kind of just an uh, add-on to that, so I hope Ryan doesn't mind, um, that it's just a continuation. Um, if you weren't here, don't worry. Um, I'm going to do a quick recap, or the Scriptures are going to give you what you need to know. So we're going to kick off there, um, and that's going to be uh, Mark 8, verse 34 to 38, and then Mark 9, verse 1. So if you have your Bible here, or if you have your Bible app on your phone, um, we're going to spend, be spending a lot of time uh, in Scripture today, so uh, have that close by. Otherwise, thanks to Alex, although I was a little bit late this morning, there will be scriptures on the screen. Okay, so this is Mark 8, verse 34, and this is what Ryan preached on last week. And calling the crowd to him, him being Jesus, with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's, will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his, of his Father with the holy angels. In chapter 9, verse 1, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, Ryan shared with us that that last verse, chapter 9, verse 1, could be referring to various instances uh, in the Bible. It could be referring um, to Jesus' actual resurrection from the dead. Um, and we re read in later like epistles, like letters, uh, that it speaks about the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. That power still is still working today. So it could have been that. It could have been after Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended uh, into heaven. It's also like an uh, like a amazing, uh, awe-filled moment, Jesus ascending into heaven. It could have been when the Holy Spirit was poured out at uh, Pentecost in, in the book of Acts, 
where the Spirit came on, on the disciples that were gathered together. It could have been even referring to a time which we don't have the privilege to yet look back on, which is Jesus' uh, second coming and His final coming. Or, as Ryan said, it could be in the very next verses. And this is where we will be spending our time today. In a part of Scripture referred to as the transfiguration. Um, and as an English second language speaking person, transfiguration, I would read that for years and not know what it means. So simply put, transfiguration means for something or someone to, to change in appearance, but specifically into a more beautiful state or into a more glorious state, as we will see. So, before we continue, I just want to say that I think that what Jesus speaks about in Mark 9 verse 1, that there's good evidence to, to say that he's indicating, he's speaking about the very next verses. Although all of those other instances, uh, the kingdom is also coming with power. So, if you would read with me from Mark 9 verse 2 to 13. Um, you can open your Bibles there. The, the scripture would be, will be on the screen. And I believe that the following verses um, give us a, a little bit more detail on who this person is that Ryan spoke about, although Ryan also spoke about who this person is. But who is this, who is this Jesus who is asking us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. Um, so, let me pray for us before we get into that. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we are able to gather here and, and worship and learn. Um, thank You that, you know, that we are not um, banned by law, as in some countries, uh, to be able to meet together, to be able to preach out of the Bible, to be able to have a Bible. Um, we thank you for that privilege, Lord. We pray that you would be with us here today. Um, yeah, will you soften our hearts to your word? Will you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, Lord? Will you guide us? Will you lead us? Yeah, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Okay, so Mark 9, verse 2 to 13. So this is just after Jesus has said, um, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi means teacher, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. 
And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them, told them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written of him. Okay, so that's the scripture we're going to be looking at today, and there, I think reading this the first time, there's a lot of questions like, what's happening here, and I don't know if I'm going to be answering all of those questions um, for you today. Some of the questions I asked myself, which I didn't put into into today's message. So what I would just encourage you is if there are questions that you have um, out of this passage and I don't answer them um, out, of, out of the message today, then please come and chat. I, I'm happy to share with you what I've learned over the, the last week. So before this, um, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Then six days later, Jesus is transfigured, changed in appearance. Two of the most uh, prominent Old Testament figures appear with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, who, by the way, were not on earth at that time anymore. They were gone, long gone. And why I say long gone is because they didn't, both of them didn't die. Uh, <laughs> Moses died, but Elijah was, it says, was taken by God. So, but by the time that they are appearing on the mountain, they weren't on earth anymore. And then God the Father speaks out of a cloud. Um, and what, this is where I would say these three apostles, some of them who were standing there on that day, clearly saw the kingdom of God in power on this mountain. So let's dig a little deeper um, at what we see happening here. So the first thing we're going to look at is how in this passage, Jesus' glory is revealed. Now, although His glory has been revealed in, in like miracles and healings and all of that, um, this is a little bit different. This is a, a physical change in appearance. So we're going to look at that verse again. Um, and he was transfigured before them, this is in Mark, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So that's in Mark. What I'm just going to read for us is what the other Gospels also say about this specific moment. Um, that, um, well, I'm just going to say what they say that the Gospel of Mark doesn't say. Um, in Matthew it says, his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. Uh, in Luke it says, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. So we get a, a broader picture by looking at the other Gospels as well. That yes, his clothes were like uh, made white 
so white that no one can bleach them that way. But his face also changed, and his face actually uh, shone. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I know what it means. Shone. Shone? Shone. So, this is showing the disciples a glimpse of Jesus' true majesty, a glimpse, a a small piece of Jesus' true form, his true majesty, his true glory, his true splendor. Mark conveys to us that Jesus' clothes change so white that no one on earth could bleach it that way. And it feels like a random thing to say there. But I believe the point he's trying to make is that this was a supernatural change. Jesus didn't quickly go behind the rock and get someone to bleach his clothes. This is unnatural. It was, it was unnatural. This is how white it was. It was supernatural. We see in the other Gospels, it says his face was shining. Um, and this actually makes us think, we think of, of Moses spending time with God. And when he came off of the mountain, his face was shining. Um, so Jesus' face is also shining. And I think we must remember that when we read this, that Jesus in human form didn't, he wasn't like, he didn't look any different to any other man in that time. That was the whole point of him coming in human form, that he humbled himself. So he wasn't necessarily looking in human form very special. So this meant something to the disciples. It meant something to them. If they had any doubt that Jesus was who he said he, he is, that this doubts would have been put to rest by what they saw. This change in appearance, this physical change in appearance, a supernatural change in appearance. And although we see earlier in Mark that Peter does at, like testify that Jesus is the Messiah, this would have just been like a cherry on top to say, like, I knew it. I said he was the Messiah. Look, look at his glory. Look at him change in appearance. And he saw it with his own eyes, which we will see later. So even though this is just a glimpse of Jesus' glory, his majesty, his splendor, we cannot help but think of the description of Jesus in Revelation. So in this scripture, this is John speaking, uh, the Apostle John, of the revelation given to him. And this is Revelation 1, verse 12 to 16. So as I read this, I'm going to give us a moment to you think about this description of Jesus. And if it helps you to, to focus and to envision this, then close your eyes. This, this is John. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst, midst of these lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice 
was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. That gives us even more detail of Jesus in this glorious state. This is a glorious king. This is a powerful king. And this is Jesus. And we must remember that although Jesus is the lamb who was slain, although he is the one who came to earth in human form, although he is gentle, and kind, and patient. He is also a glorious king, shining like the sun. And this is revealed to us in the scriptures. He is also the lion. He is not only the lamb. So next, we will look at something that might not be obvious at first. Um, And hopefully I can give us some clarity on that. But in this we see that Jesus is in agreement. Jesus agrees with the law and with the prophets. He's not in opposition to them. So Jesus agrees with the law and the prophets. He's not in opposition to them. So we're going to read from verse 4. Short passage there. Uh, Mark verse 4, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. That's Mark. Matthew, similar account. Um, And then in Luke, we see a little bit more detail. In Luke, it says, who appeared in glory, this is Moses and Elijah, and spoke of his, Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So the question is, why Moses and Elijah? Why were Moses and Elijah there specifically? So it was commonly known by the Jewish people that Moses represented the law. In fact, some commentators even say that the Jews would have referred to the law as Moses. They would refer to the law as Moses. So Moses represents the law. And the law was called by the Jewish people Moses. And Elijah, who is also known as the chief amongst the prophets, a well-known prophet who God used powerfully in the Old Testament, represents the prophets. So we have the law on this mountain, represented by Moses, and we have the prophets, represented by Elijah, and obviously they are talking with Jesus. And it's clear from their interaction of what we see in the scriptures that they are not arguing, they are not in opposition to each other. In fact, in Luke, we see it says that they are talking to him, Elijah and Moses are talking to Jesus about his departure, his his death, about what he is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. 
This would have been so important for these Jewish disciples and the, the readers of the Gospels to see that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were in agreement. Jesus, the law, and the prophets were in agreement. And we know that they, they are not in conflict to each other because then they wouldn't be speaking of Jesus' departure as an accomplishment. But they see it as an accomplishment. Jesus is going to accomplish something at Jerusalem. And we can look back on that and say, oh yeah, we already know what happened. So remember that the Jewish people of the day, they would have put all their hope, all their trust, all their expectation in the Scriptures, in the law, and in the prophets. So this would have really meant something to them to know that Jesus wasn't saying, forget that, forget the law, forget the prophets. He wasn't saying that. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear that He's not in opposition to them. Although the Pharisees tried to, to convince people, and, and they believed that Jesus was in opposition to what they saw in the Scriptures, and what they read in the Law and in the Prophets. So, this is Jesus' teaching on the Sermon, of the, uh, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the Law or the Prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then in John 5, verse 39 to 47, this is Jesus' testimony about himself. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory, glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the holy, only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's just as important for us today, not only for the Jewish people, to know that Jesus was not in opposition to the law and the prophets. There are some teachings saying that the Old Testament is not applicable to us, and that is just not true. They all point toward Him, and we would do well to trust what they say about Jesus. Next we will see that Jesus is God the Father's chosen one. His Son, the one He loves. And this is in Mark, uh, this is from verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified, and a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, 
This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. So looking at the other Gospels, again, some detail that we, that we might miss. Um, it says in Matthew that Peter was still busy speaking when the bright cloud came over the mountain. Um, it also adds on in Matthew that it's not only my son, but that I am well pleased with him. In Matthew, it also says that when this cloud came, they fell on their faces because they were terrified. Um, And it also adds that Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Rise, have no fear. Um, And then in Luke, we see that it says that Peter did not know what he said. Peter did not know what he was saying. And we also see it add that uh, God add that is my not only my son, not only the one that I'm well pleased with, but my chosen one. So one of the most frequent questions that came come out of this passage of scripture is, what's what's Peter doing? What? Why is he asking this random or making this random suggestion? Let me set up three shelters for you, or three tents, or three tabernacles. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And for us, it's easy to look at this and say, oh, Peter, you again. Um, But we must remember that we can read this whole passage and see what happens. Peter and the other disciples would have had no reason to think that Moses and Elijah are only staying for a couple of minutes and then leaving again. Um, so have some grace with him. Here are up, uh, a couple of other suggestions um, about why Peter would act in this way. So Peter was tired and he was not speaking any sense. In Luke we see just before that, it says that the d- disciples were busy sleeping This is only in Luke. Um, And they woke up and then saw all of this happening. Moses and Elijah and Jesus shining with glory. So, you know, like he was, Demokar, he was confused because he was just waking up. So that's why he makes this random suggestion. That's just a, a theory, by the way. These are all just theories. Peter was saying things, this is the second one, he was saying things um, without thinking before he spoke. Like earlier uh, in Mark, where he rebukes Jesus, again he's saying something before thinking about what he's actually saying. Peter did not want Moses and Elijah to leave. These two people were prominent figures for the Jewish nation, who they valued highly. They would have grown up hearing and reading about Moses um, and Elijah. He did not want them to leave. Um, Peter did not want Moses and Elijah to leave because he believed that they would need them. They would need them because this was now... The kingdom coming in power. We're now going to get our army together and we're going to overthrow the Roman government. 
Because that's what they believed the Messiah would come and do. The Messiah would come and he would, he would reign like a traditional king did in the time. And I think that there's, there's evidence in, this, in that scripture for that. Because in Luke we see that it says that as Moses and Elijah were leaving, then Peter spoke and said, let me make, must I, must I not make three shelters for us? So there's evidence there to show that he was concerned that Moses and Elijah were starting to walk away from Jesus. So as I said, it's not exactly clear why Peter um, suggests this. Uh, often people just say, you know, that just shows how as humans we don't know what we're talking about sometimes. But it's noticeably clear what God thinks of this idea that Moses and Elijah should stay. God's there, we see a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And this is, we see this is happening while Peter is still speaking. It says that the, while speak, Peter was still making this suggestion, the cloud came over the mountain and out of the cloud, God spoke and said, this is my beloved son, Jesus, listen to him. And then when they lifted their faces because they were terrified, it was only Jesus left. It is as if God the Father is saying, you have everything you need in Jesus, my beloved son, my chosen one. He fulfills the law and the prophets. Listen to him. And in this process, God affirms Jesus again as his son. And this reminds us of Mark 1 when Jesus is baptized. God the Father also affirms Jesus as his son, the one he loves, the one with whom he is well pleased. Mark 1, verse 9 to 13 says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Once again, if the disciples had any doubt in their minds, after all that they had seen and heard, this affirmation out of the cloud must have just built their faith so much more. And it is understandable then why the next part is so confusing to them. So in the next part from verse 9, we see, and as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them, to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had raised, had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, 
that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. The only thing added in Matthew to this is that they did not recognize Elijah, that the people did not recognize Elijah when he came. And it also adds that the disciples understood that when Jesus said this of Elijah, he was speaking of John the Baptist. So, here we might be wondering, where did John the Baptist come from now? Uh, we were still speaking about Elijah and God and Moses, and now suddenly here's John the Baptist. So, first, I think it's important to know what the prophet Malachi said. And Malachi is the last uh, book in the Old Testament. So, Malachi 4, verse 5 to 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of his hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The Jewish people were expecting Elijah to come before the Messiah. And this is why this was an issue for them. For us, we might not see the issue in it, but this is why it was an issue for them, and this is why it was important for them, because Malachi said, Elijah would come first. And now here, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, but Elijah hasn't come yet. And Jesus does answer this uh, question, this seeming objection. In Matthew 11, verse 11 to 15, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, amongst those who born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, Jesus says that John the Baptist was Elijah. Jesus says that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And he says, if you are willing to accept it, he was Elijah. Elijah has come. So there's no more objection against him being the Messiah. Because John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And this is according to Jesus. Jesus also tells them to keep all that they have seen to themselves until he has risen from the dead. So let's just recap. What is it that they need to keep to themselves? They need to keep to themselves that they had just seen Jesus transfigured, changed into a more glorious state on this mountain. Can't tell anyone about that. They had just seen 
Moses and Elijah, who, who weren't on earth anymore, talking with Jesus on this mountain, can't tell anyone about it. Then they saw a great cloud covering this mountain, and out of the cloud came this voice saying that Jesus is my beloved Son, my chosen one, the one with whom I am well pleased. Can't tell anyone about it. Jesus tells them, keep this to yourself until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So you can understand them needing to discuss that term. I wonder what rising from the dead might mean. Because they had just seen Jesus in all His glory, maybe not all, but a glimpse of His glory. They've seen Him talking with Moses, the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets. And they've seen that they are in agreement. God the Father has come and He's affirmed Jesus once again. So it would be unthinkable that this glorious king is going to die on a Roman cross. Never. Although Jesus has said this already. He said, this has to happen. And this is where where Peter also rebuked him. The disciples at this time did not have ears to hear what Jesus was saying. Not long after this, they would be so confused that their glorious king was dead. But as we know now, he was then raised to life. He ascended to heaven. He promises to be with us until the end of the age. And he pours out his Holy Spirit on his followers. So I know this was a lot of information and um, to bring it all together, I want to ask us, what does this mean for us today? Because we spoke a lot about what it meant for the Jewish people. Yeah, the Jewish people. Yes, the Jewish people. I believe this passage of Scripture for the Christ follower gives us hope, confidence, and expectation for what is to come. This was so encouraging to me to read what Peter wrote in one of his letters about this experience. So this is 2 Peter 1, verse 16 to 21, and this is close to the end of Peter's life, where he's writing, it says, he's writing to the church at large. So he's not writing to a specific um, church family, he's writing to the entire church. So 2 Peter 1, verse 16 to 21, Peter writes the following, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So Peter writes years later of this experience of what he saw on that mountain, of what he heard. He might also be thinking back and thinking, three shelters, why did I even say that? But this to me is so encouraging. Peter was there. He saw this. He saw Jesus change. He saw the cloud. He saw Moses and Elijah. He heard the voice coming out of the cloud. They were there. He says, we saw this with our own eyes. And then we go back to the Gospels and it's like, yes, it says that Peter was there. Three of the Gospels, they they all say he was there. So Peter says, as Peter says, this is not some cleverly made up story or myth. This is real. He saw it with his own eyes. Him and most of the other disciples died for this. Therefore, as Christ's followers, we can look forward in anticipation to the day that Jesus returns or the day that we are with Him. We can have confidence in the fact that Jesus is a glorious King, a powerful King. At the beginning of this message, we spoke about Ryan's message where we said, let's look at who this person is that is asking us, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This is Jesus, the glorious King, the one who fulfills the law and the prophets, the one who God the Father says, of, this is my son, my chosen one, my beloved, listen to him. The one who ultimately does what he asks us to do. He denies himself. He takes up his cross for our salvation and for his glory. For those of us that do not consider ourselves Christ followers, I would ask you to seriously consider what this could mean. If these things happened, and Peter was there, and he testifies about these things, and he died for this, could it be true? Could Jesus really be who he says he is? Could there be true and lasting hope in Jesus. And if you come to the conclusion that this is the truth, then you can follow Jesus' instructions at the beginning of His ministry in Mark. The time is fulfilled, Jesus said, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel that says that Jesus Christ, who came to earth in human form, who lived a sinless life so that he can pay for your sins and for my sins and that God's wrath would be satisfied in his sacrifice so that we can be reconciled to God as it was intended to be from the beginning in relationship with God. 
and as it will be in eternity if we place our faith in Him. I'm just going to give a moment for us just to be quiet and, and think about this. Um, think about who Jesus is. Think about what is coming. Um, let's set our minds and our hearts on eternity. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you humbled yourself, came to earth, sacrificed yourself for us. Jesus, I pray that this would mean something to us, that it wouldn't be a mouthful of words pray that this would change our way of thinking, that this would change our way of living, that who you are changes how we see life. Lord, I pray that those of us that are Christ followers, that you would put eternity on our hearts. That we wouldn't be focused on the difficulties of today, but remember what is to come. Remember that you said you are with us until the end of the age. Will you remind us, Lord, every day you are with us to the end of the age. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Amen.